Hello everybody, this is uh, Editing in the Future, Matt Dyer here. Um, I had an issue with my PC this week, and so I actually finished the edit on Saturday, and then I was cleaning up my PC on Sunday, and accidentally deleted the podcast. So I had to redo the whole thing, but then I wasn't feeling very well. And so I didn't want to spend the next two hours editing. So the podcast episode today might be a bit all over the place in terms of editing. Um, There's also like a big reveal that uh, Sam and I did in the intro. um, And I can't be bothered to redo the dramatic music and dramatic voice that I was doing for that. So that's going to sound really awful when... We th- when I say, oh, I'll do it in a dramatic way, and then I don't do it in a dramatic way, and then Sam comes in and says, oh, you did that, without, you know, yeah, it's going to be awful, but um, please bear with me, because I'm not feeling well, but basic, basically the, the podcast is good anyway, so yeah, just enjoy what you got, bye! What happened there? You screamed. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome back to the Sam Antics podcast. He's Matt. I'm Sam. He was very, very unfortunately called a sexual predator by his, one of his best <laughs> friends in the world <laughs> earlier today. And I wasn't. And that's just the way it is. And why wasn't you called that, Sagora? Because I'm not a sexual predator? No, because you called me a sexual predator. Yes. 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 You were sharing a um like look at look at my name tags over the years sort of photo with me, me and Glenn. My and I, so I got a new ID badge at work. Um the last picture was taken three, four years ago. Um and so I shared a picture of the old and the new and said, oh, look at that hairline. <laughs> you can really tell the hairline's going as I get older. Yeah. And I, so um, Sagrava, tell the rest. For some reason, for some reason, when I type the word sexual on my phone, the auto, the next autocorrect like, word it suggests is predator. Yes. Um, and I, it, it didn't help that I wanted to say that's a sexual photo. So the next word was, a, the next letter was a P. And then it just created the word and I wasn't paying attention and hit send. And then I realized what I sent and I was very apologetic. Um, I don't actually think you're a sexual predator, but I, I, I do apologize for the 15th time. Excellent. I've cleared uh, that up. Yes, yeah, thanks for wasting four minutes of my life. Uh, so, Gora, we are on episode 56. Yes. 56. We, mm. we ne- we're nearly at 60. That's, that's, that's generally yeah, yeah. good yeah. maths, that yeah, quick as well. I'm impressed. And I think the next time we record, it no. will be the. Will it not? No. Are you sure? Yeah. No, it won't. 
down. There's another, there's another week in between. Yeah. I, I, I know this because I thought exactly the same thing earlier today. <laughs> 57 and then 58 is the Halloween special. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, you've yeah. got two... You've got two episodes before the Halloween special, which Sam and I are going to go all out on this year. Oh, yeah. We're talking um, trick-or-treaters. We're talking pumpkins. We're talking baby sexual sharks. Sexual predators. Well, we don't need to cover them. You're here, Matt Dyer. Mm. So, Grover, <laughs> Yes. How have you been this week? Um, I was ill, Matt Dyer. You was? I'm pretty sure everyone heard on the... As you can probably still hear it now, to be fair. Can I just um, say very quickly yeah. as well? Yeah. Is I have found it most peculiar that um, I said, because I didn't know you were like that. So I said, oh, shall, yeah. we, shall we advertise the, um, the, the upcoming exciting, thing? We, yeah, we, exciting, yeah, exciting thing coming. Yeah. And uh, you were like, oh, don't worry, I'll do it. Yeah. And then I, I saw the video, I was like, Sakura, are you being a dickhead on purpose or. <laughs> Why, why, why did you think that advertising in that state of um, voice mm. was a good idea? Because as someone who is a social media manager, manager for the Sam Antics podcast and wider Sam brand, mm. I felt it my duty to you had spent a lot of time on this amazing thing that we've got coming up and i thought i'm gonna help i'm gonna help and do what i can okay so i did next question uh yes when i said shall we you could have just yeah. said that i would you mind doing it because i i'm not feeling very well my voice is a bit husky and i would have been like that's absolutely fine my friend but no instead you then submitted it without me mm. seeing it and then I then had to go on the back of it in a normal voice. <laughs> we'll just say this. Just in case people didn't understand you. I spoke clearly and eloquently. You could perfectly hear me. You then went on the back of it and said exactly what I said. Yes. And that you could hear what I said. For people that don't speak sick uh, language. Um, other, than, other than that, it's been quite a good week, my dear. It's been quite a good week. Good. It's been, uh, it's been one of those, you know, have, do you ever have one of those weeks where it's just quiet and you don't, and nothing goes wrong, nothing goes amazing, but nothing goes wrong and it's just perfectly quiet. That no, what, what's that like? Oh yeah, sorry, I forgot where you work. Um, so... Oh, <laughs> don't you dare, don't you dare bring the Polar Pals HQ into this. Yes, so uh, speaking of the Polar Pals HQ, Madar, how have you been this week? So, Robert, mm. I have been okay this week. I um, didn't go to mum's this weekend, so I was home. I watched football. I watched the Japanese Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. I did played some Minecraft, and that's about it. So you've had a quiet week as well? Yes. Basically, what we're saying to Cobra is we're both not fucking awful. It, it's taken 56 episodes to get there, but we've done it. We've achieved it. Excellent news, Cobra. 
impressive. Uh, but I, uh, hmm. we've alluded to a amazing, interesting thing that we've uh, been cooking up in the Samum laboratory this, Ind- uh, this week. Not the laboratory or the lavatory? <laughs> I think if it's <laughs> us, we've been probably been cooking it up in the lavatory, Sagora. I mean, we are full of shit. But no. <laughs> uh, but would you like to explain a little bit more to the listeners of what we've actually been cooking up? Yes, yes, I will, Sagora. We have a Discord server now. Ta-da! I mean, that's one way to announce we've got a Discord. Well, there we go, Sagora. I like to, you know, me. I like to uh, change it up a bit now and again. <laughs> and uh, there we go. I thought I would. Um... So dramatic. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, we've um, we've got a Discord server, Sagora. I tell you what, we've had it for a couple of days now, and it's kind of amazing how we've actually got strangers talking to each other. Uh, do you know what? And we'll, we'll share as well what we both said. So yeah. obviously, oh, yeah. we we know week in week out that we have poor people listening. I mean, poor as in poor. not not poor as <laughs> oh, in God. you've got no Peasants. fucking muzzin. Muzzin. <laughs> Hang on. Oh, God. oh Lord. Not Hello, boring. welcome back. <laughs> oh, no. To the Peasant of Poverty <laughs> podcast. He's Matt. I'm Sam. He doesn't like poor people. <laughs> and I do. Oh, oh my god! Sorry about that, everyone. Uh, I didn't mean poor, as in you've got no <laughs> no money. I meant got oh, no fans. <laughs> I meant I meant like when you say oh, the poor bean, you know, the poor bean. The, um, the people that listen to us every every week, and we know we have an audience. Mm. Um, but actually, when we started seeing people joined the server and they were talking and communicating to each other some of these most of these people didn't know the other people adam for me did they no um and it was quite touching in the sense that like this is a server like a community kind of small community we've built yeah for that listen to us like are there in that server because of us yeah, the reason why they are talking and they've it's because of us. It's because of what we've created. Yeah. It was um, um we both said it was a, a bit of a moment of like holy fuck, we've we've done this. Like it's kind of a little achievement for us in a way. Mm. So the last ever episode so Gorba, we've completed it. Well, we, we've achieved everything we needed to mm. and wanted to. Thank so. you very much for listening to the Sound Antics podcast. This is the last ever episode. And but, <laughs> but it's okay. You can listen to our new podcast. The Poverty and Peasants podcast. <laughs> so there we go. Discord server completed. Next thing on the list, Sekrova, live streaming on Twitch. Live streaming on t- Twitch and then after that, <laughs> live streaming. Live streaming on what? <laughs> live streaming on Twitch. I think that's against the Twitch terms and conditions, Sekrova. And then after, then after that, OnlyFans. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> Sam are only fans. Can you imagine? I bet we'd make a lot of money. Well, it wouldn't be us, would it? We'd, we'd probably hire it out, wouldn't we? This is true. Mm. If you want to advertise yourself on our Sam Antics OnlyFans, get in touch. 
And now it's time for the long-awaited return of Matt Dyer in Angry Man Reviews. So it's time to pass over to the angriest person I know. And here he is, Matt Dyer. Oh, oh he's, he's breaking things. He's that angry. He's so angry, he had to break something before he could, ex- he could tell you how. I heard glass break. I've heard all sorts. Well... Let's crack on, shall we, Sagara? Everything okay over there, my Yeah, absolutely fine. So, uh, I'm afraid this is a very sport-orientated Angry Man review this week. Um, And I think you'll understand what I'm on about, especially if you are a Formula One fan. Mm. So, Sagara, this weekend we had the Japanese Grand Prix. Uh, yes, we did. The long-awaited return of the Japanese Grand Prix after it's been missing from the calendar for the last two years uh, due to mm-hmm. COVID. Um, and I love the Japanese Grand Prix. Suzuka is just one of the greatest tracks in the world. Um, really, really is. And the problem we have with Formula One is that it goes to Japan in October. September, October, November. Uh, yeah. Towards the end of the calendar. Yeah. And during this time, it's what's called monsoon season over in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's almost, nearly almost every race that we have there every year, it's raining at one of the sessions, be it practice, qualifying, or the race. Yeah. Now... We, in, in 2014, we had our last fatality in Formula 1, Sagora. George um, Bianchi. George Bianchi um, crashed. Basically, for people that don't know, it was absolutely pouring of rain. To the point um, where you couldn't see, like, a lot, of, like, very far in front of you. That, yeah, that it, it, it had got really, really bad. And Formula One, they have three different types of tyres. They have the, what, what's called the slick tyre, which is the dry, the, you know, what racing cars have on. Um, minimal, minimal tread. They don't have any tread. They're, it's all completely slick, hence the name. Uh, they have the intermediate tyre, which is, um, it's a wet tyre that has uh, a small amount of grooves in it. So mm-hmm. it can clear water from the track, but it's also slick enough that you still have grip. Um, it also gets very hot very quickly, which means that the driver has grip pretty much straight away. Um, and the third tyre is uh, what we call the extreme wet tyre, which um, is basically a tyre that's just completely... Um, what's the word, Sakura? Has has a I, what's the word? I've forgotten the word. Tread. Tread. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and those tires can clear actually eighty liters of water off the track per second, not per minute. Eighty liters a second. Okay. This is this is at racing speed. This is at racing. This is at, that's at top speed, mind. So yeah. in the wet, very rarely do you go top speed. Um, Anyway, so back to 2014, and um, the track was just saturated. And basically, in a car, when you get to the point where there's so much water 
that the tires can't cope with clearing water because this happens on the road as well. Um, yeah. What what is called aquaplaning happens, where basically the tire you, doesn't there's no grip anymore, and you'll just go straight on. Um, and this happened at the 2014 Japanese Grand Prix. Uh, a driver, uh, Adrian Sutil, I believe it was, had gone off, and the marshals had come out onto the into the gravel or wherever it was, and uh, was starting to recover the car. The the car unfortunately was was pretty much beached, so they had to bring in a a tractor to basically pick up the car and and clear it. Not like um, a standard tractor though, is it that they use? It's like kind of like a JCB digger yeah, type thing. Say, yeah. yeah. Um, and unfortunately, what happened is Joel Bianchi was coming. Basically, the corner that happened, the cars. It's pretty much one of the fastest corner. Well, it is the fastest corner on the track, one thirty R. And Joel Bianchi, God rest his soul, was coming up and aquaplaned basically, and went off the track and hit the digger. And now I'm not going to go into the accident because it's very gra- graphic and horrific, it, so. it's 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 horrific. Um, luckily, the the TV cameras didn't actually pick up on this. Um, they had cut away before it, so thankfully that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, he lost his life uh, a year. Was it a year later? Wasn't it? He was in a coma. He was in, in hospital coma for a long time, a long, long, long time, pretty much a year. And yeah, he 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 succumbed to his injuries, bless him, and um, and he passed away. Now, after that, there was a big investigation, obviously, because a driver has, has passed away, and yeah. the FIA, which is the governing body of Formula One, so basically, that's like in football terms, UEFA. I would imagine is that correct, Sir Robert? Uh, yeah, FIFA, UEFA, FIFA, and UEFA. Yeah. Um, and they did an investigation, and it was it was deemed that they would never put tractor any recovery vehicle, basically any vehicle other than the safety car, the medical car, or the racing cars themselves. Uh, they would never be on the track again under with, racing proper under, racing conditions, isn't it? Yeah. Um, anyway, fast forward to twenty twenty two. Yeah. And again, the conditions are the most horrific. Uh, I think one of the most horrific rain situations we've, we've ever had in Formula One. It was that tr- they've raced on, that they've raced on because they, yeah. they, they have obviously called. Um, I do remember a few races in previous years where they've called off when it was in this bad condition, in my opinion. It was yeah, 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 yeah. No, you are correct. You are correct. And anyway, so the race. Started as usual, and pretty much you, I mean, instantly, you could even tell in the formation lap um, that the spray, even though they're at like twenty percent throttle, the spray was horrific. Mm. Anyway, first lap, and Carlos Sainz, who drives for Ferrari, he aquaplaned and spun and hit the barrier. Uh, now, where he came to a stop, the car was half on the track, half off the track. Um, so what happened then is 
um what else happened yeah then a uh, a advertising board came loose and the car of Pierre Gasly, who drives for Alpha Tauri, uh, hit this advertising board uh, and damaged his front wing. So he came into the pits and changed his tyres, changed his um, front wing, and went back out on the track. Now, by this point, the safety car had been deployed. Um, now, under a safety car, the drivers have to stick to a what's called a specific delta time, which means that they're, they have to stay within a specific time period through certain sectors of the track. Um, this is basically, it slows, it neutralizes the race. Um, and because under safety car conditions, the all the cars have to catch up to the safety car. Um, now, when you're at the back of the pack, so in last place, which Pierre Gasly was because he had to come into the pits, um, you are allowed to, not at full racing speed, but you are allowed to drive quickly to catch up to the pack. Now, Pierre did this, which he's completely entitled to do. He stuck to his delta time, which is what you're supposed to do. And he comes around the corner and comes across a tractor. In the track, on the track, there is a marshal on the track with the tractor clearing the uh, debris of Carlos Sainz. In the in the same conditions. In, in the same conditions. Jordan yeah. had his had his accident. Yeah. Who? Yeah. Uh, it's a very it's it's a it's a complicated subject. Formula One is so technical. The rules and regulations are just. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they are difficult. I feel but... like we need to say that over the course of us watching Formula One, and it's been two decades, I would say, is probably accurate for us actually watching and understanding Formula One to a certain extent. Yeah. There has been so many things put in place that's helped with the safety of the drivers. In my, as, I'm, as Matt has been saying this, I've been thinking, right, what serious incidents can I remember other than Jewel? And I remember Felipe Massa got hit by a stray um, bolt. Yep. Um, which the helm, his helmet that was up to the new standards of helmet. Yep. It protected him. They brought yep. in Halo, which has saved drivers as even last season and earlier this it, season. It saved Charles Leclerc in the first year. Um, he was racing at Sauber, I believe, at Spa. Yep. It saved Roman Grosjean when he had his yep. horrific fireball crash in Bahrain yeah. and it saved Lewis Hamilton last year when he tangled with Max Verstappen at Monza and Max Verstappen's back tyre landed on his head. Yeah. Um, and, and how can this thing that frustrates me is how can Formula 1 be so safe in those terms and protect the drivers to so much extent and then in the same breath put a tractor out on track in conditions where they've lost a driver thing is as well so i mean i've gone full rant here and obviously told the background story completely the thing that frustrates me as well is that the fia basically released a statement initially saying it was gasly's fault yeah sky f the sky f1 team other than um ted kravitz 
who's the pit lane reporter, and Jensen Button, who's obviously a, a, an ex-driver. Uh, well, champion. Well, exactly. Um, they both said it's completely unacceptable to have a tractor on the track, even under safety car conditions, mm. in those conditions. Um, yeah, everyone yeah. else in that team was saying, again, we were of the narrative that it's Pierre Gasly's fault. Now, if you are a driver and you are sticking to the rules of which you are supposed to do, he was sticking to a, a delta time. He was catching up with the back of the pack. You probably don't know that the tractor's there. Nope. He lost... He's lost two friends in his career. He's lost Jules Bianchi, and he lost... Uh, a Formula One, uh, Formula Two driver, uh, Antoine Hubert, yeah, um, a few years ago in Spa. It is unacceptable to have a vehicle, a recovery vehicle, a tractor, whatever, on the track when there are cars still going round the the track. Mm. And the FIA even said that when Joel Bianchi had his crash in 2014. Yeah. And they brought in, you know, they brought in all these measures. They, they, you know the virtual safety car, Segura? Yeah. The, yeah, the, yeah. the VSC. That was brought in because of the investigation into Joel Bianchi. Now, actually, the VSC is actually in some ways safer than the safety car because with the safety car, you have a delta time and you have to catch up with the safety car to have form the safety car train, if you like. Yeah, with the virtual safety car, you again have a delta time, but the cars are all spread around the track, and they all you. I mean, the speed they go during a VSC is ridiculously slow. Um, so yeah, I just yeah, I, I feel I also feel like we need to point out that the reason why they try and bunch people up behind the safety car is so that they can clear the track and have people on the track. At specific at specific like parts of the track to clear the um let's call it carnage if it's a big crash to get rid of that they need all of the cars away for an extended period of time so that's generally why they'll do a bunch up safety car with the yeah. virtual safety car they go at such a slow speed that people can come onto the track and the drivers have enough time to react to people on the track which you don't get under the usual safety car conditions trying to catch up to the train yeah. Now, my opinion of this is pretty much the same as Martin Brundle. So Martin Brundle is uh, the second commentator um, in Formula One for Sky. And he wasn't at the Japanese Grand Prix this weekend. Um, he occasionally has a, a few races off, which is, you know, fair enough. Um, it's, getting, it's getting old now as well. Well, yeah. And it was the first lap of the race... There is a car basically half onto the track. Mm. If you need to bring a recovery, why did they just not red flag the race? This is what he, I remember you saying this as well when we were having a chat about it. It makes no sense because we remember so many races that have been called off or at least suspended because of the conditions. Yeah, and yet in this in this instance, they thought, "Oh no, it's fine. We'll keep them going. We don't want to stop. We don't want to stop." You need to put the safety of the drivers first, and then the 
money you get in from your sponsors second. We're talking about people's lives. If you make a loss on a race, you make a loss on a race, but you've saved lives or you've at least saved drivers from potentially having accidents. There is no reason why a red flag would not have been suffice. It's the first lap. Um, even if you've got a safety car, the corner that this happened is a quick corner. And yeah. the conditions were fucking awful. So you can yeah. still aquaplane at that speed. and Like a science, safety car speed. And science is not a rookie. No. Science is a more very good driver. If you're one of your more experienced drivers in the pack has aquaplaned off, you need to take note. So the FIA, the FIA again, who's the governing body of, of Formula One, they have... They've been through the wars the last few years. Um, you're, you're, a lot of people will be aware of the uh, the championship saga last year uh, between Verstappen and Hamilton, where the then race director Michael Massey just made up some rules for initiative. I mean, let's to not quote, go into it. To quote my good friend uh, Toto Wolf, "No, Michael, no." <laughs> um. And, you know, after that, it said, you know, we're going to learn from this. We're going to bring in things. They said they were going to bring in VAR for, like, Formula One um, to help the race director. I've not seen VAR used in Formula One. They saw, they said they were going to bring back uh, a person called Herbie, Herbie Bash, Herbie Blash, something like that, um, who was, God rest his soul, I don't know if you remember, Sagra, uh, Charlie Whiting. Oh, yeah, yeah um, I remember Charlie Whiting. He was basically Charlie Whiting's second-hand man. Yeah. Um, again, I've not seen him. Where is he? Uh, they said they were going to bring in two race directors. They have, but they alternate. Yeah. There's not two two of them there all the time. To second-guess each other. So the, the FIA, in my opinion, is just in a complete situation where... That's another thing I've just realised. They keep saying they're going to invest... They, they investigate all these things. They're investigating themselves. How can they investigate? How can you have a company investigate your own company? I mean, it's sounding a lot like the British government again, but what we need to. You need an independent party. But don't forget, this happens though. This happens with the big governing bodies. Look at FIFA. FIFA had to get investigated because Sepp Blatter was. um, Corrupt. Was corrupt, taking payoffs. Yeah. And he was found to be guilty. We need to look into the, the FIA because the FIA, for two seasons running, have heavily, heavily implemented rule changes which have not helped the sport. And if anything, has actually put the drivers more at risk. It, yeah. I'm not going to keep going on about it because it's, it's a boring subject if you're not interested in Formula One. Um, and I could just speak for hours and hours and hours. But something needs to change with the FIA. The drivers, have, all the drivers have agreed that the tractor unit was not acceptable mm. again. And it took that for the FIA to then release a statement saying, oh, we will investigate it and let everybody know in due course. But there are so many things happening within the FIA which are just... And I've, there, are, there are other examples that I, I've missed um, just because I can't remember. But yeah, 
this Formula is a one. topic we're both quite um we're both quite passionate about it because in our while we've been Formula One fans, we've always looked back at previous years, haven't we? It's been something that we, we you do as any a fan of any sport of any TV show, you look back at the previous seasons and remember what you loved, what you didn't love. One of the yeah. things that has been repeated is the loss of lives or serious injuries to drivers on the tracks, which has caused changes. Something happens serious, and the FIA go, oh. We should probably address that. We should probably look into that, shouldn't we? For context, the, the last death we had before Jules Bianchi in 2014 was Ayet and Senna in 1994. Yeah. So that tells you how safe Formula One has become. And that, that was can... after. And what happened that weekend that day? Well, there was two drivers that died in 1994 in the same. <laughs> so we At had same Ruben... Rubens Barrichello crashed in practice and was in hospital. In with severe injuries, he obviously survived. We had uh, Roland Ratzenberger. Yep. Uh, in qualifying, had a crash and died. And we had Is and Senna, who's probably one of the you know the one of the bigger. Um, I would you know, say fatalities. I'd, yeah, I'd probably go as far to say he's been he's, his is the biggest fatality we've ever had in Formula One. Oh, there's, there's lots more before that, but, but um, well, ASN is different because it's in, in football terms. It's like um, right now, Lionel Messi dying on the pitch. Like that is literally the equivalent. Someone who is at the top of their game, who is considered one of the best to ever play the game, to then pass away. The best, one of the best drivers, and then it took that weekend for them to go. Ooh, Oof, maybe some of the safety measures we have in place need to be upgraded. Yeah, for, so for context as well on that, the safety car was changed because the safety car back then was pretty much just a road car. Um, and if you look at them now, you've got... Um, SLRs and all sorts, don't you? Well, you yeah, just... Um, they are road cars, but they're like basically race version road cars. Mm. Um so yeah, the FIA, things need to change. Um, I, I look forward to um, reading the report on, on what happened in, in Japan. Mm. Um, and yeah, there we go. So Robert, anything, anything to add on, on the FIA? I mean, a lot I'd want to add on the FIA. Um, there's another report I want to look at when it comes out. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we can't. We Are can't we into that. No, we can't rant about the FIA for that because the FIA have actually done what they've said. And until we hear what the um, what the um, punishment is for Red Bull, and then yeah. we will discuss the FIA. <laughs> but um, that's a story for another time. Have you got any more uh, angry round reviews, or is that? No, I've done 24 minutes of the FIA. That's all I need to do, Sagora. I mean, 24 minutes of the FIA, it's, it's, that's, that's holding back, if I'm honest. Yeah, I could do an hour and 24 minutes, but um, <laughs> the audience don't need that.
Well, it's that time of the podcast that we all look forward to. And uh, we're going to go through the forest of funnery <laughs> and over the bridge of banter as we visit our friend Sam Cropper in our section. Storytime with Sam. Now gather around, everyone. Before we get into it, Madaya, you have a choice. So, okay. as we know, we have just, including this episode, two episodes until the Halloween special. Yes. I can do two standalone stories, one this week, one next week. I can do uh, s- two stories which are from the same universe, but are standalone. Or I can just start another series. Oh, so Crawford, you instantly know what I'm going to choose. But I have you have this... to bear in mind. You have to bear in mind that it will have. To, it will end up skipping a week. That's fine. That's absolutely yeah. fine. I do okay. not care. Okay. Oh, I've been waiting fucking ages. I know. Yeah. Sakura. I know. Can you give us a title? So this series is called Dollhouse. 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 Oh, God, I find dolls creepy, Sakura. Yeah, well, you have to hand blind prostitute things, so. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, are you ready for this, Madaya? Oh, I should. Would you like to know how many stories there are in this series? Do uh, you mean how many parts? Yeah. Uh, go on. Six. Fuck it, else, go on. Yeah. Six parts. That's going to take us to episode 61. Quick maths. Brought to you by Sam Antics. <laughs> right, you crack on, sausage. Okay. <clears throat> this chapter is called... Well, it's not a chapter. But anyway. An old guy hired me to manage his life-size dollhouse. But some of the occupants are starting to freak me out. The ad was bizarre, but straightforward enough. Late 50s male seeks women in 20s to manage large-scale dollhouse. Candidate needs to maintain a household of 11 real dolls by tending to the daily wardrobe, grooming, and other needs of the dolls. Nothing inappropriate. $250 paid in cash at the end of every shift. A lot of women were put off by that ad. Not me. Let's just say I've seen some shit in my life. I was finally starting to dig myself out of the trash pile of childhood trauma by getting into a good college when the reality of the tuition fees set in. I needed a part time job to stay afloat, and creepy sex doll man would have to be it. So, Corbett, just before you read the next bit, do you keep hitting your microphone because? I keep hearing, like, you're moving your microphone. No. Oh. Um, I mean, maybe it's a creepy sex doll. I don't know. don't know. Okay. Carry on. Oh, you know what it might be? I tried calling the number on the ad, but nobody picked up. 
A few minutes later, I got a text asking my name, age, and times of availability. Another text later, I was asked to start at nine the following day. I was surprised with the ease of the interview, if you could even call it that, but I didn't feel like questioning it. Whatever the guy's deal was, that was his business, not mine. As long as he didn't breach any boundaries and paid me on time, we'd get along just fine. I wasn't stupid though. I called my cousin Ronnie and told him what was going on and where I'd be the next day. Ronnie sighed, but he didn't question my decision. We grew up with the same shitty guardians and he knew I could handle myself. Just be careful, Lou, <laughs> he said at the end of his call. Pack the bag, okay? <laughs> oh my god, that's the most incredible voice you've ever done. Oh my god. Please carry on with that voice. The name's Ronnie. You know the Simpsons, the the police officer Lou, and the, and the other one. <laughs> you just sound like you you say you careful Lou. Oh Lord, carry on. The worst part is because it, I'm going for like um Italian American accent there. I'm you need doing to work on your accents. I'm doing the hand movement as well. <laughs> like the bag, okay? Like the bag. <laughs> Not Italian, Italian-American. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, Lord. Sakura, carry on. We've we got to get through this. Okay. Pack the bag, okay? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure I can do it, Sakura, you know. Oh, right. Here we go. Control yourself. <clears throat> go. Of course, Ronnie. I smiled at them to the phone. I'll be in touch if anything happens. The bag was a bag. <laughs> oh my god. What was it, Sakura? The bag. The bag. The bag. <laughs> It's like, when... it's like you're trying to be the mafia. That's what I'm going for. Oh. Going for the mafia rather than when's a yard, the meal day. You're going for Fat Tony from The Simpsons, aren't you? <laughs> okay. Oh, God. The bag was a backpack of essentials for any kid that was unfortunate to grow up in a neighborhood like mine. The bag contained pepper spray, a swift, a swift, no. A Swiss army knife, drinking water, a couple of protein bars, and a cheap dispensable phone with Rani's number saved in contacts. I, I hope for the best, but prepared for the worst. Oh, that's, that sums up my life, that does. Always. I was at the given address at exactly nine o'clock the next morning. The house was just breathtaking. A tall, asymmetrical, two-storey, with whitewashed walls and a multifaceted roof. The windows were different sizes and shapes. 
The panes a charming baby blue with glass that sparkled like the morning dew on grass. I walked up to the cobblestone path, admiring the clean-cut lawn and tulip flower beds that lined the perimeter. Maybe this won't be so bad, I thought, as I climbed the porch steps. I couldn't find a doorbell, only a large bronze knocker, designed to look like some sort of horned creature, possibly a bull. It was as though the sculptor had chosen to make the man... Eh? It was as though the sculptor had chosen to make the beast in a man's image. The result being a grotesque blend of the two. I banged the knocker three times and waited. Nothing happened. I tried again. No one came to the door. I pulled my phone from my back pocket just so I received a message from the Craigslist number. Go inside. The girls are on the second floor. Whatever you're into, buddy, I thought as I pulled the door open and stepped inside. The entrance hall was everything the exterior suggested. Polished hardwood floors shimmered like glaciers on a sunny day. A needlessly large chandelier descended from somewhere above my head. Quaint antique hall cupboards and paintings flower pots tied the look together. It was all it was meant to be. Quite lovely, but something, something fell off. The interior almost too precise, as though been crafted after the idea of an old Victorian home. The passing of time generally implied a dash of ruggedness, and this, this place had none. It's like a large-scale dollhouse, I thought, remembering the ad with a slight shudder. I clutched the straps of my backpack, trying to hear any hint of life within this house. There was only a slight echo, my, my sneakers scraping on the floor as I crossed the hallway on my way to the grand staircase. I lingered before taking the first step. It wasn't too late to turn around and find something less creepy to do. Sure, but the pay... Now that was excellent. My gut was telling me there's something very wrong with this house. But determination and a hint of curiosity argued with my better instincts. And one. I walked up the carpeted steps. He hello? I called upon reaching the second floor. No answer. To my left. A door stood open, revealing a, an old-school parlour room. I stalled before entering, realising that the distant concept of eleven life-side stoles had been far more agreeable than the actual sight of them. What can I say? The, the, the dolls were exquisite in a vacant, detached sort of way. Someone had dressed them in a variety of colourful nightgowns and bathrobes. Some faced windows, others were seated around a coffee table. All were positioned in poses that were meant to look natural. Their size was that of your basic petite woman, and some evident variation in the hips and breast department. 
there were some there were some blondes with blue eyes sultry brunettes and a redhead uh, african-americans asians you name it one even had rainbow colored hair and blue lips Louisa, a soft voice interrupted my dull and juice trance. My right hand instantly went for pepper spray as I whirled around in one swift jumpy motion. Jesus. Slipping spray back in place. You scared me, lady. The owner of the voice was a tall, thin woman well into her fifties. She wore a long red cardigan that she buttoned over a lilac turtleneck and a full-length plaid skirt. The entire outfit was so hideous that I barely even registered the fact that the woman herself was attractive for her age. She had a very dignified sort of face, with a dainty nose and knowledgeable eyes. A good amount of thick greying hair was tied back in a low ponytail. My apologies, Louisa. She smiled politely. I didn't mean to scare you. It's, it's Lou, actually, I mumbled, trying to compose myself. Nice to meet you, Lou. The woman's smile held through her gaze, and then it began to sharpen. My name is Mrs. Claymore, and I'm the mistress of Vanderley House. First time I've been in a house with a name, I replied, watching her face. Much like my surroundings, the woman carried herself in a manner of welcome, but it all felt a bit scripted. I believe my husband gave you the general gist of your duties here at Vanderley. Well, I surveyed the kinky mannequins lounging around the room. The text messages mentioned I would have to watch the dolls? Yes. She spoke slowly, as though addressing a small child. You will be acting as the part-time manager of the household. In essence, you will be filling my shoes while I'm away. I see, I nodded, feeling uneasy. For the next hour or so, Mrs. Claymore showed me around the house. Took me into the different rooms and explaining my increasingly bizarre work tasks. Every morning, I was to change the girls into their daytime outfits and carry them around the house, set them up in their respected activities. I would learn the dolls' names and activities from the chart. My shift would end around the time the so-called hygienist showed up to perform cleaning procedures on the dolls. If all is clear, Mrs. Claymore concluded, I will leave you to your job. Oh, all right, I nodded, struggling with my apprehensive feelings. I let out a long breath as soon as Mrs. Claymore retreated downstairs. If ever there was a master not asking questions, it was me. And yet, I had so many <laughs> Everything about Mrs. Clay Claymore indicated she was an intelligent, proper sort of woman. And I just couldn't reconcile that image with the things she was saying. Was she unhinged? I half wished the husband had met me instead. A creepy old man with a sex doll fetish. While super gross, 
was something I could understand and I could even turn a blind eye to for the right amount of money, obviously. But it's like, what the hell was this? Walking back to the parlour room, I felt my resolve strengthen. Late morning sunshine spilled through the sheer curtains, illuminating the doll dolls in a cool grey light. Not a single speck of dust could be seen in the rays. The dead eyes of the dolls reflected my mood. I studied the clipboard Mrs. Claymore had given me. It contained the aforementioned doll chart printed on a crisp, expensive-looking sheet of paper. Cynthia was the first doll on the list. With a flicker of dread, I stared at the tiny picture printed on the page. The photograph, while small and a little blurry, was clearly of a real person and not a doll. It showed a pretty redhead, somewhere outside, with locks of hair lifted by a gust of wind. I scanned the room, quickly locating Cynthia in a nearby armchair. The resemblance to the person in the picture was uncanny. I walked up to the doll and stared at her face, reaching out her hand to graze her cheek with my finger. She was definitely a doll, not a person. Even so, the fact that her image was moulded after a human felt all sorts of wrong. So I turned my attention back to the chart. Cynthia, 21, 5'7", 122 pounds. Biochemistry student, plays violin. 11 a.m. violin lesson in the drawing room. 12.30, quiet reading in the study. What an oddly specific type of girl. Hardly your average boner inducer. Pardon? Hardly your average... Say that again? What an oddly specific type of girl. Hardly your average boner inducer. Oh dear, I thought that's what you said. Jesus Christ. Alright. Scanning the other five entries on the page disturbed me more than I could say. Valeria. 20 years old. 5'7". 107 pounds, athlete, ballroom dancer, 11 a.m. dance lesson in the drawing room, 12.30 yoga in downstairs hallway. Gina, 22 years old, 5'6", 121 pounds, cat lover, 11 a.m. disciplinary session in the entrance hall, 12.30 quiet reading time in the study. Catherine, 25 years old, 5'5", 115 pounds, nurse, enjoys video games, 11am dance lesson in the drawing room, 12.30 yoga in downstairs hallway. Angelique, 21 years old, 5'7", 135 pounds, unemployed, recreational drug user, 11am, 11am. Double disciplinary session. 28 years old. 5'6". 118 pounds. Daycare teacher. Enjoys reading. 11am. Dance lesson in the drawing room. 12.30. Quiet reading time and study. 
My hands trembled as I finished reading the last entry on the page. There have been so many times in my life where I felt helpless and afraid. While horrible, each instance had an identifiable source of danger. A drunken uncle, an abusive social worker, a school bully. It was easy to work through fear when you expect. But this place? The place had me stumped. There was something very wrong about Mrs. Claymore and her yet-to-be-seen husband. About the dolls that were meant to look like real people. I knew then that I should leave. But there was a part of me that didn't want to go. Call me the collector of evils. But I just had to know what sort of fucked up darkness lurked green halls or Vanderley House. I left the parlour and looked later the closet. A room on the second floor which was dedicated to all 11 doll wardrobes. I'd caught a glimpse during the walkthrough, but I didn't get a chance to just take it all in. It was the size of a bedroom, with shelves of shoes, folded clothes and hanging garments lining the wall from my left to my right. The other end of the room consisted of a mirror wall. I stared at my small frame, reflected in the four distinct angles. A couple of jet black curls fell loose from my ponytail and I tucked them behind my ear. I looked very pale, not unlike a doll myself. That thought sent a visible shiver through my reflection. The shelves of the closet were an obsessive compulsive dream come to life. Everything was sorted by clothing type and colour. The chart hadn't specified what the dolls should wear, so I trusted my better judgement in picking the outfits. There are a few modern garments available, but there was a large variety of the basics that would look decent on most people. I pulled some items from the shelves and went to pick out the shoes. Not many options there either, mostly pumps. And I was about to head back to the parlour when another glance at the mirrors revealed a detail that I nearly missed. Though three of the full-length mirrors were visibly nailed to the wall, the one on the far right had no bolts in the corners of the frames. I tried wedging my fingers into the small cracks between the mirror and, and pulling at it. That yielded nothing. After a second's thought, I tried pushing instead, and the hidden door popped open. Inside was the first real hint of the true Vanderlei. The mirror concealed a small, dusty room. A bare light bulb dangled from wire, revealing unfinished concrete walls and, and stacks of moving boxes. I approached the nearest box and looked inside. It was filled with clothes, but they were nothing like the garments in the outer closet. These were trendy crop tops, boy shorts, cocktail dresses. A lump formed in my throat. I opened more, finding high heels, hoodies, sunglasses, watches, trinkets. I had to stop myself then. There were a lot of boxes I didn't have time to ransack the place Mrs. Claymore could find me at any moment, after all. 
and I needed more proof of my growing suspicions. I walked out to the front closet, closing the mirror door behind me. I did my best to wipe away the fingerprints that revealed my intrusion, and I reached for my phone in my back pocket so I could call Ronnie, but found that it was missing. Of course, I thought. Reaching for the hidden zipper in my inner side of my backpack, I powered on the flip phone and auto-dialed Ronnie. He picks up on the first ring. Code red, I whispered into the passer gadget. I fucking know it, Low. <laughs> Ronnie reprimanded. I'll be daring 40, an hour tops. Keep safe. Will do, I promised, replacing the cell before picking up a pile of clothes I selected for the dolls. Mrs. Claymore must have fished my phone out my back jean pocket at some point during the walkthrough. But why? Was it to snoop on me? Mess with me? Potentially cause me harm? None of the answers quite fit the bill, but I had a feeling I would learn the truth. Soon enough. I made sure to keep calm as I walked back to the parlour room. There was no use for panic. I need to keep my thoughts clear. I set down a pile of clothes on the coffee table and approached Cynthia. I lifted her arms and pulled off her nightgown. Putting her arms back at her side, I took a step back and, and surveyed the doll's body. There's no doubt in my mind that Cynthia was moulded after a living, breathing young woman. While her body held true to the beauty standards of today, it was not perfect. Her large breasts hung low without support of a push-up bra, and there was a birthmark to the right of her belly button. Again, I felt the need to reach out and, and feel her to make sure I'll she wasn't pardon? alive. To make sure she wasn't alive, I placed my hand on her lean shoulder. She felt as plastic as ever. Room temperature, high-grade silicon, and yet there was an energy. I'd had the feeling uh, before in museums on school trips where I'd snuck away from the crowd and stared at some old army general's chair or an early telephone set. I thought it was common, just guessing sort of vibes from items. But Ronnie told me it wasn't. I didn't dwell on it much. To me, objects carried stories, just like people did. So it begs the question, what was Cynthia's? I placed my hand, I placed my other hand in her palm, and an overwhelming sense of sorrow erupted inside me. The force of it made me fall to the floor, laying my head on Cynthia's knees. I didn't let go of her, I couldn't. The doll was telling me the truth, her truth. One so awful that it made my limited imagination could only produce it in dull aches that ran through my body. The grief was insurmountable, and I let it flow through the both of us. What did they do to you? I asked, choking back tears. There was no reply as the immense darkness receded into heavy but manageable despair. And then I noticed a small tattoo 
on Cynthia's inner left wrist. It was a black stencil of the bull man I had seen on the entrance of Vanderly House. I couldn't waste time. I had to gather as much information as possible before Ronnie showed up. I got up and started checking all the other dolls. Every single one of them had the same tattoo. I picked up the doll chart, now fully convinced it was a list of victims. I needed to learn as much about them as possible in the short amount of time I had left. Cynthia, Valeria, Gina, Catherine, Angelique, Madison. They were all here. Each headshot contained a girl outside, not a doll. They were real. But were they alive? I felt my breath falter as nausea threatened the scant contents of my breakfast. There were only six girls on the page. The truth hit me like a punch to the face as eleven sets of dead eyes stared at me. The link I always suspected but couldn't prove. Until now. With shaky hands, I unclipped the piece of paper and flipped it over. There were six more entries on the back, but my eyes were instantly drawn to the last one on the page. Right there, beside a tiny pixelated photograph of me standing outside Vanderly House, that very morning, I read the following. Louisa, 20 years old, 5'4", 115 pounds, ex Tenebris Lux, ex Mallo Bonum, 11am, the hygienist. A door slammed downstairs, and though I wished with all my being that it was Ronnie arriving early to get me out of this mess, the large Roman numeral clock on the wall of the parlour told me it was far too soon to get my hopes up. Heavy footfall ascended the stairs in a slow but confident stride. Echoes of the intruder carried through the house into the parlour. I picked up this pepper spray, rummaged around my backpack for my Swiss army knife. I slipped the spray in the back pocket and I held the knife inside my palm so it was out of view. It was time for my appointment with the hygienist. Oh, no way, man. Ooh. Ooh, 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 ooh. That was a long old first part of Segura. It was. It was. It really, really was. I hope they're not all like that because that was, yeah. That was nice and long. But, Madaya, it is the return of a series of story, spooky stories. Excellent. It's excellent news, Segura. And that is nearly all we've got time for this week. You're damn right, Sir Grubber. It wouldn't be a podcast episode without the dramatic, the second dramatic thing that's happened in this podcast. And alas, 
I have a song for you today, Sagora. Okay, I'm ready. I think you might know this one, but um, here we go anyway. When you try your best, but you don't succeed. When you get what you want, but not what you need. When you feel so tired, but you can't sleep. Stuck in reverse. Lights will ga our eye, our eyed <laughs> you home. And igna our eye, our eyed your bones. <laughs> and P. Diddley will try to fix you. Absolutely brilliant. I did miss out the second verse um, of the first uh, first bit, but um, that was uh, that was Coldplay's "Fix You," Sagora. And uh, why do we like it so much? Uh, because it was performed at Pete's and Dawn's wedding with P D P D Puff Daddy. <laughs> Good old Pete and Dawn. You yeah. know he's been to Nepal three times. Three times. Three. <laughs> oh my Christ! Oh, Pazzy. <laughs> oh, Dawny, what's he done to you? <laughs> oh my God! So that's Gavin and Stacey, everyone. If, oh you, God! If you don't know, you get to know. Yeah. Oh. Also, talking about getting to know, my dear. If one week is too long for our audience to get their sound antics fix, how can they get it? Well, Sigurd, that is a a fair question, and one that I do know the answer to. Uh, you can go to our Instagram page, which is at Salma Antics. You can go to our TikTok page, which is at Salma Antics. You can go to our Facebook page, which is the Salma Antics Podcast. You can send us an email to samaanticspodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our Twitter, which is at sama underscore podcast. You can go to our Twitch, which is at (laughs) sama underscore podcast. Or you can go, well, you can't actually go to the Discord server, but if you send us a little message, we will send you the invite code so you can join one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten other people in which we're going to do lots of different things as i said in the intro lots of the people to the discord server exactly <laughs> yes we're not um... going to do anything to the people <laughs> in the server that sounds bad <laughs> legally can't do anything to the people in the yeah. server um but there is one more place matter is that the you missed out on this yeah yeah you can head to acast because we oh, are acast content creators sake. You've just got to uh, get it out of your system, Sigour. This is what you this dude, is what you live for, isn't it? Just to it say is. that every week. It, that that is that is. Um, also, if you want to join the Discord, just or just send Sam and I an email, just saying Discord, and we'll send you the link. Hmm. Yeah, but it it's um, as we said, and is a great way for us to talk to you and and you to talk to other fans of the podcast. And now my diet really is we've got time for this 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 week. And all that's left to say is we'll chat to you next week or in the Discord.